Welcome to the Addiction Reset Podcast, where we share a method to overcome addiction and reset your life. Now, here are your hosts, James Pendleton and Amy Kasky. the addiction reset podcast my name is james pendleton your host i'm actually flying solo well not solo but my co-host amy is off for the week but i got a super awesome guest for you today he's a a close friend of mine he was a neighbor um, a couple years ago and he's also a licensed therapist that he works with um, addictions and trauma and i thought it'd be a great idea to bring him on and get some perspective from a professional and not just my opinion, like I'm always telling you at this point, and kind of get his his take on um, addiction as a whole. And he's he's very familiar with my situation. Um, I was very open with him as a friend and neighbor about my recovery. And so we may get into that a little bit. I might call him out on one thing. Actually, we had a conversation. He may not even remember this conversation, but I do. So I may, I may call him out on that. But I'm super excited to have him here. His name is Logan Blazard. He, he's, a, like I said, a therapist in St. George, Utah. So if there's anybody out there looking for a great family therapist in St. George, this is your man. He's a great, um, great guy and a great friend. Thank you so much, Logan, for joining us tonight. Yeah, of course. Happy to be so, here. Tell us a little bit about what, what you do, maybe your specialty, and then we'll get into kind of some of the questions that I have for you from, from a pornography addiction standpoint. Sure. Um, so I, yeah, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, um, took the mental health track in my degree in my master's degree, um, partially by choice, partially circumstances. I did a distance program, but, but anyways, um, I was going to do substance abuse track, but I decided to go mental health to have a little more broad range. And then I'd specialize as I go. Um, uh, started my career around 12 years ago, working at a rehab. Um, I guess initially I was going to go into psychology, even in high school, I was working with like all the special ed kids and peers. So I would work with the kids that were on the autism spectrum, developmental disabilities and that kind of stuff as a peer tutor. Initially thought I would do that and more of the ABA style approach or road using behaviorism, um, stuff like that, behavioral analytics and whatnot. Um, anyway, got home from my mission. Um, and, and during high school and stuff, had a bunch of friends that, that got into drugs and alcohol, um, and, and just a lot of close people that I knew. So that was intriguing. And then I worked at a rehab for two years, a residential treatment center here in St. George. And anyways, over the years, I've been kind of in different settings. Okay. And I became a therapist, uh, started my practicum in 2015 and, and, or sorry, 2014. So it's been about seven years um, clinical practice. <clears throat> um, I specialize in uh, doing trauma, um, not only, but primarily using EMDR, uh, trauma therapy that, that, yeah, you can look into if you care take a little bit of time right now, but, um, trauma therapy. And then I do substance abuse and addiction work. Um, they always go hand in hand to me. Um, if you have substance abuse, there's addiction generally involved. Not that all addiction includes substance, but similar themes. And then I do a lot of work with youth and teens, um, as well as family work because of that industry and that realm. So those are my, my, my specialties more than anything else right now. Well, every, uh, the audience obviously can see why I wanted to have him on. He has a lot of experience in a lot of the f- stuff that we talk about, obviously, <clears throat> addiction as a whole. I, I guess the first question, I didn't even give you this one to kind of prepare for, but what, what do you feel like, is there, is there a link between trauma and addiction? 
I mean, you say you do a lot of work. With I, I would say almost always. I mean, I, I can't sit here and quote to you and act like I'm some uh, statistician on all this, but I've heard it. I've, I've been, you know, I've studied it and I've been coached in it, but the, the correlation between substance use or any addiction and trauma is very high. Um, very high correlation. Almost all substance use treatment centers um, talk about dual diagnosis where there's anxiety disorders, there's trauma disorders along with substance abuse and addiction. So they're almost inseparable. I mean, I would say anyone that specializes in in substance use needs to have a very, very sound understanding or practice approach model in trauma because almost inevitably it's going to be part of it, but it's not a guarantee. It's just high, high correlation. So, so do you believe that from an addiction standpoint, a lot of that comes from an underlying condition or from that trauma? And that, is that like a starting place for you when you're working with someone with addiction? Um, it's, it's something I assess for every time when treating any sort of addiction. Um, you and I are both kind of throwing around the word addiction, you know, openly right now, which I don't know how much you want to get into on the podcast. And I'm not trying to sway you or your listeners anyway, but um, addiction is very broad and, and there's so much to it. Right. As you know, you and I have talked yeah, personally. So, right. um, but, but as far as, you know, do I go there again for me as well in my own experience, anecdotal evidence or research with my clients. Um, yeah. I, I often assess for trauma early on um, just because, Again, it's so connected to any addiction. Addiction, for, for me and my experience with my clients, is very much, um, it's about needs, right? It's, it's whether it's emotional needs, you know, relational needs, different things. And, and trauma often distorts people's understandings of relationships. Um, we use the phrase attachment in, in the therapy world around early childhood stuff. And those are, again, very, very common. It's just not always an attachment you know, purely from that standpoint, yes, is early on stages of development. But I, I personally believe as a therapist, my style and my belief um, professionally or clinically is that attachment can change over the years. Um, even though a lot of the theorists didn't believe it could, I, I believe people can form healthy attachments and gain healthy, secure attachment over the years. It just takes a lot of work and, and good people around you. But right. <clears throat> I like that. Well, you mentioned kind of the addiction as a whole. And I, I know I'm a, I, this is a conversation I'm going to bring up that we had. I was about two years into my recovery. <clears throat> I remember a conversation we were working. Uh, we were um, going on a visit together, um, sure. doing ministry. And we, uh, we were just chatting and, and you had mentioned, so I had mentioned to you that I hadn't had any relapse in two years. And you made the comment that then I probably wasn't addicted. And in my mind, I was like, well, but I, for 20 years, I had tried to stop and I couldn't stop for 20 years. Sure. But at, at some point, there was that decision. And, you know, now that two years has turned into three and a half years. When you say decision, sorry to interrupt, man. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean decision to stop? Yeah. Yeah. Had you not made that prior to that point? Well, I guess I had tried. Right. Yeah. I thought I had. Yeah, right. And, and looking back, it's so easy now, like. I know the day that I went to my first addiction recovery program meeting. And that was the day that kind of, there was that turning point. Right. Awesome. And to me, a lot of people refer to it as the bottom. A lot of people don't look or people's bottoms are completely different. Right. And that's why it's like, if you hit rock bottom, well, your rock bottom looks a lot different, but I do think it's interesting. So like, because actually, you know, you mentioned ABA therapy and autism and, and youngest, he has autism. 
and he goes to his ABA therapy and, and autism spectrum disorder basically means, but my son's very, fairly high functioning, right? But yeah. it, he's still yeah, spectrum, spectrum is super wide, right? Yeah. And I guess I kind of interpret addiction a lot the same way, right? You're on a spectrum of... You know, Absolutely. It can be as simple as, <clears throat> you know, you do something that you want to stop, but you continue using it in spite of adverse consequences, right? Sure. And if you continue to do it, even though you know there's going to be bad consequences and you just keep doing it, a lot of people would refer that to it as an addiction. But I'm curious because, again, you I, that's why I'm having you on. I trust your opinion. I trust what you're saying as a clinical therapist. Like, to you, what is an addiction? And how do you determine if it is an addiction or just a bad habit? Maybe? Sure. I, I, again, I, I don't know. There, there's so many factors, right? So broad, so open-ended. Um, first of all, I want to respond, you know, when I said, well, maybe you didn't have an addiction. I, I don't know if I was responding out of my own thoughts or anything else. Again, I, I'm not doubting that I said that, to be very clear, James. I, <laughs> clearly, it stuck with you, and I don't remember that conversation. Um, I, I guess I guess that probably – Sure, and that's okay. Well, because it, to me, it was a big – you know, it was like something that stood out to you. Is, it was just a normal conversation, and I think that's an issue. Sure. Sure. And, and maybe I was thinking, you know, again, who knows what I was thinking of that night. Right. Um, yeah. But but I guess to, to kind of back up what I was saying and also argue with what I was saying, to be very honest. Yes. Generally speaking, you know, treatment centers, for example, they, they do a lot of relapse prevention work. Right. Uh, you probably know that by now. They, they focus heavily on that. The treatment centers I've worked at and been a part of prevent or you know relapse prevention plan all these things there's so much to avoid this and you and i had talked about this i think um with one of our neighbors who i'm sure you know i'm talking about that that we went out sometimes together but um relapse is inevitable almost right at one point or another during the phase or a period of addiction it's not a matter of if it's when and i think most addicts quote unquote would say that or agree with that um and then that's probably what I mean when I say, you know, you know, you haven't had a relapse for two years. Like that's, it's almost shock and awe. There right. are exceptions to everything. And so maybe you're just one of those exceptions. Where I was like, wow, like, do you really have an addiction? Cause part of addiction is relapse. Um, <clears throat> one of your questions, by the way, and I hope I don't get too far on tangents. I absolutely have ADHD brain and I'll bounce all over. Um, so redirect me, feel free to, but one of the questions was, um, I can't even remember it now. Um, oh, about 12-step programs, recovery programs, and AA, yeah. stuff like that. <clears throat> I, I, I like that stuff. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not like one of those committed everyone needs to have it. I don't I don't think any program or any model or style saves everyone for sure. You know, that there's no way. I think everyone probably knows that or should know that. Um, but but they, they're very much, you know, they count time. They count days. They keep track of days. And to me, that's a that's a – that's an addict mindset in and of itself to count days personally. That, that's just my approach. Um, I, I, cause, cause then what do you get when you do relapse or slip or lapse? There's different words people use, you know, the shame cycle, right? The guilt cycle. And you know, you we've talked about that at times. Right. And so, so I don't know if I, I, if I love everything about it, but I've, I've learned so much from AA and clients over the years about addiction recovery. Uh, you know, we don't need to share a ton, but like I've never had, serious addiction to anything i, I wouldn't even say addiction <clears throat> have i done problematic behavior sure but the more i'm a therapist dude addictions you know what an addict is is, is something very different in my opinion um yeah. but that comes back to your question now i'll kind of try and swing back <clears throat> um 
you know, the spectrum of addiction. I actually draw this up with clients and I actually am a very client centered therapist in my opinion, even though I have a lot of strong opinions on things, I'm not going to push or tell anyone to do anything. So I actually have clients draw it out for me. I say, what is hardcore, for example, alcohol, what is hardcore alcoholism? What are you, if you're a, what's the, what's the furthest on that end of the spectrum compared to not drinking ever? And then I say, what's in the middle? And then I say, what does it look like over here? What does it look like over here? And I do that with clients actually to help them gain insight and to gain in, uh, hindsight or awareness as to where things are. And then I have them put themselves on that. Right. You know, we look at how much they're using, what type of drug or alcohol they're using or product they're using, if it's porn or something like that. We talk about what is it, how does it affect their family? Because sometimes family members don't care. Sometimes they do. So there's so many subjective answers or responses to those things that you're you're exactly right at the spectrum. I'm not one that believes like there's a line you cross and you're an addict or you're not. It's it's so broad. Humans are individual. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question or answers you with what you're looking for, but the, the spectrum is very real and everyone's different. Um, I, I don't know if I told you before, there's a book called The Heart of Addiction. Okay. Um, one of my favorite books on addiction. Let me see if I can find it or if I have it in my office. Yeah, I'm gonna write it. I'll put it in the show notes. Part of it. Yeah, is. yeah. So, so Lance Dodes, D O D E S, and to me, this really helped me understand. Um, and I like his approach, his style. It's a doctor, um, but he talks about like the root of addiction is being in powerlessness, mm-hmm. um, and that most people with addiction relapse or use when there's a sense of powerless in their life powerlessness in their life and i i totally support and agree with that so anyways back to that idea of the spectrum of alcohol or addiction of any sort i hope that answers your question yeah for sure i i think that the important so we use what we call a reset method is basically the first two steps are you reflect and you explore and the reason that we we do that is if you think it's an addiction, then treat it as an addiction. If you don't, then treat it, don't treat it as an addiction. But I, I mean, I, the, the spectrum is so wide of pornography use, you know, people beat themselves up. And, and one I'm thinking of just recently is, you know, they look at it once a month. And I, and I asked a simple question is like, what if your wife is or spouse and yourself is okay with that? Perfectly like, fine with that, right? You that that's like a wrong thing because we, we mess up on lots of things, you know, maybe because we think, a temper recommend question would be like, well, I, I look at it, I'm not keeping it. But technically, you could also interpret it if it's within your marriage and you're both okay with it, it's totally fine, right? And, but in the, his mind, it was a problem, right? So if it's a problem, then then let's see if we can... Let's address it, yeah. Yeah, do some things to, to address it. So I know yeah. you work with a lot of substance abuse. In your mind, do you feel like pornography can be an addiction then? Uh, again, no, no question. No, it's not. It's not even literally worth asking, in my opinion. It, it is the the validity of it to some people. That's where that's where there's difference of opinion, in my opinion. Like, I don't. I don't know if I've ever heard someone be like, "Yeah, that's not an addiction." I don't think I've ever even heard that, even even in a professional manner. It's yeah. just whether or not it's worth conversating about. You know what I mean? It's whether it's something that's wrong or not. That's the only conversation I've ever heard or studied. I've looked up articles plenty of times and. You know, there's plenty of articles written, you know, it's like, it's not a problem. Okay, but it's still an addiction by, you know, definition and characteristics of addiction. That's not a question a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, absolutely an addiction. And and there's plenty of research and websites and groups that, you know, porn kills. There's all sorts of stuff. Porn kills marriages and all these types of things that, that show like 
this absolutely destroys. I, I don't remember. It's probably been seven years. I was in my practicum. And again, pornography addiction in particular, I don't claim to be like, hey, I'm a specialist on that. But again, it falls under addiction. So I do it with clients if it's kind of an aspect of their functioning and we address it for sure. But it, anyways, my point is I don't know all the statistics, but the, it changes brain chemistry. Like it changes. And I, and I have a lot of personal and professional opinions from my own experience with clients as well. That's like, look what this does to trust. Look what this does to your partner. Look what this does to your endorphins and your oxytocin when you have sex after viewing pornography regularly. Like there's so many pieces to it. So uh, yeah, hopefully that answers you as well there. Um, let's, so you said, you mentioned, um, you know, when you start with somebody, you kind of put them on this, where they are in that spectrum according to their own opinion. But what, from a clinical standpoint, what's your starting place? Like, how do you get someone, if they come into you and they're struggling with an addiction, whatever addiction that is, they believe that they are, like, what are some tools or how, what's your starting place with them? Where do, where do, you, where do you go from there? You know, I always tell people I have two, I have two approaches. I teach a lot of things, um, more of just informative, so then my clients can become autonomous. My goal is to never create dependence on me as a therapist. It happens all the time in this world. I have clients who are like, you yeah, know, I saw my therapist for five years or eight years or 12 years. Not that that's bad. I, I just don't think regular therapy Right. For, for an extended amount of, I mean, I've done trauma therapy with someone for two and a half years one time, like, and a couple times at different periods in my career, but like, I'll eventually move it to where they're more self-sufficient. So responding to your question, I, I teach a lot and inform a lot up front that way so that they can kind of take hold of things over time eventually. Um, but, but things I, I often start with is I always start with assessment. I have to assess before anything else. Like before I treat anything, I need to know what I'm looking at. I need to know what the problem is, where it is, the client's motivation and values. I, I'm heavy there. I have them do a self-evaluation on values. I give them a worksheet or two that I have them look through things. And we keep that in our mind all the time. What are your values? Not not the cliche, oh, I love my family and I'm, I love honesty. You know, Not that those are bad or wrong, but I really push people intensely into like, why do you do what you do every day? Which gets tricky with addiction, right? Because our values switch. Right. You've probably had that discussion on here. So, but but I I really look at what are their core values. That's kind of where I start a lot of the time. Um, another piece that I that I emphasize specifically with pornography is you know my style and therapy generally in, in, engages two two foundational tracks of our therapy and we don't do them one at a time we we try and do them uh congruently but one is coping skills and uh, mindfulness and coping with day-to-day -day frustrations and struggles with what they're dealing with now um but the other side is the deeper stuff the where is the trauma what are the needs what's your background what's the history and so uh, we kind of do a dual prong approach with every client as far as that goes though with pornography addiction or any addiction to start, I heavily emphasize mindfulness practice. So during your day, creating rituals and habits of checking in and just saying, hey, where are my emotions today? Hey, how's my relationship today? Hey, how are my cravings today with looking or viewing pornography? And so we start that way. I don't often start with like, hey, we need to talk about when you're doing it and how to change that. That's too late. Um, right. one, of the, one of the fundamental models, this will probably clarify as well, there's, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, James, but thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions, actions lead to behavior, which is more patterned actions. Behavior leads to character. Right. And so if, 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 if that eventually goes long enough, that's who we become, right? 
And as sad as that is, and we don't want to label, that's what humans do. And I always tell people, most treatment and therapy focuses on behavior and actions first to get us detoxed, right? To get us away from it, to help realign our pathways in our brain, which is needed. We need clean time. But then thoughts and feelings is kind of like that deeper therapy, right? We need to address the thoughts. We need to talk about what we're thinking about during the day, what we're thinking about before we went to bed. And those are good. But I come back to what I talked about with values. The very top has to be desires. And if you think that you can change your stuff by working on your thoughts to start, it's too late. We've got to focus on our desires. And so during your day, when you check in and you're mindful of where you are emotionally and cognitively and all these things, reminding yourself what matters to you, because that's when you make change in the middle of a craving good luck, right? Like right. it's so hard. And so right. I'm big on emphasizing mindfulness and awareness that way. That, that's where I start, I guess, to answer your question. Yeah, that's good to hear because, you know, in our, when we use the reset method, that's kind of the idea too, right? Like we want to start reflecting on like, what, what exactly are we doing and yeah. are we okay with that? Because a lot of times people are letting church principles govern what they actually think is true. Totally. And when you actually sit back and think about it and then explore like, hey, maybe, maybe I am okay looking at pornography once a month. And that's totally fine if that kind of fits within your marriage and so I'm glad to hear that mindfulness is kind of one thing. Actually, I've, mindfulness is one. Of, I'm glad that you said mindfulness and not like meditate. Like mindfulness can be a lot of different things, but it's super hundred percent. It's a buzzword right now on the third progress in their life, and and that's a, you know, and I think it's it sounds like you're very similar to this. Like you want to use therapy to kind of get people a, on a trajectory or a path that they can kind of self-sustain and just continue to improve. And I think a lot of times like people come and talk to us about pornography and it's like, I could just fix pornography. Everything's great. I'm like, well, I know a lot of people that don't look at pornography and their marriage sucks. Right. So absolutely, yeah. pornography is just the, just the problem. Right. And the fact that we bring in mindfulness and try and figure out like what, what our values are, what our desires are is, is a big deal and can really, really put us on a, not just a path of, getting in recovery, but also just living a better, well-established life, a well-rounded life. Uh, and I don't think while I'm in recovery or during recovery is a good mindset because if you, I, I, this is my experience with substance abuse and pornography, people that are in recovery or do treatment to treat something and then end it, they're already screwed. Like right. uh, that, that's not going to work. This needs to be a change from that top level, the desire from your core. If that doesn't happen, I don't think people can overcome any addictions like there. It's so hard. It's so insanely difficult to overcome these things. People that don't use or they don't have addictions generally don't understand exactly. what it is. And so what you talked about, that's, but that's part of why I do appreciate AA's approach of like once an addict, always an addict. But at the same time, I think, and that's one of your questions, can you truly recover? I do believe it's possible. And this is, I don't know how much you tie in spirituality to your podcast, yeah. but like the atonement to me is, is, is necessary because to change something that deep requires extra help usually. Right. And so for me, like if people don't have spirituality, it's going to be even harder to recover from these things long-term. And a lot of the time when people recover from alcohol, they just trade it for a different addiction, right? Or if they train, they, they, they don't, you know, use pornography, they masturbate. Or if they don't do this, they do that. Like there's different things. And so, to me, the core of recovery is changing everything, not just changing a behavior. That's not going to work. 
Right. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And, and get back into a little bit of the 12 steps. So, you know, I encourage people if they want to go to the church's 12 step program that, that, to do it because That's it's great. Potential. And, and for me, that was kind of my turning point. Right. And, but yeah. one of the things I tell people this quite a bit. So step one is like acknowledging that you're powerless over your addiction. Right. Well, I happened to go in my first meeting was step six. If I would have gone in on step one, I would have been like, I'm not powerless. I, I still think I can fix this. <laughs> right. Sure. Own, even though I've been trying for 20 years, sure. Step six basically comes into the whole like character weaknesses. And there's things that are maybe, more underlying than your addiction that if we can work on that the deeper work yeah yeah and and i'm actually now i always look back and i wish they would change the steps actually i wish that was step one because that was for me and it seemed to work but the point is is i i understood or i thought i did what what christ could do with his atonement for me but until i kind of looked at it from a different light which the church's 12-step program helps like if, if you if you're going to the program and you're reading I mean, the manual should be our Sunday school manual. I've said that a lot to a lot of people. Like, I feel like that you learn things or maybe you're just more open to those things in that setting. But um, that was kind of the turning point. The character weaknesses is like, well, if I give up my control and my pride and I'm not so worried about those things, all of a sudden maybe controlling the addiction isn't as important, right? I don't have to lie as much because I can't control it. Like, if it turns out great does if not then that's okay too sure hey james i got about eight minutes seven minutes and i gotta go i just if there's something particular i want to respond and maybe we'll have to finish this another podcast yeah no that's i apologize well no that's perfect i just want to maybe we'll end on this um because you say you work a lot with families and teens um but i just what is what would be your number one piece of advice from a communication standpoint with a spouse or a parent for somebody that is the addict or is struggling with it, how would they begin the communication? And what would you, um, what advice would you give them on how they would start that and continue on that path of of that open community? So this is a little bit controversial for me. I'm a little tricky because I have some conflicted feelings depending on who I'm talking to or what stance they're coming from and everything else, but, but purely principle-based two thoughts. And I thought about this question probably as much as anything, because I've, I don't think I've ever met a couple that had an issue, whether it's substance abuse or pornography, any, just an addiction. I don't think I've ever met a couple who got through it where the individual did it alone. Mm-hmm. To me, if you're in a relationship with someone, an intimate you know, partnership or husband and wife, whatever it is, if you want to overcome any addiction and stay together, the spouse has to be on board and supportive. It doesn't mean enabling all those other things. Mm-hmm. But, but sorry, my got a phone call, but, but a spouse has to be supportive and, and that's to each individual how that comes out. But without knowing that there's secure love through the recovery, I, I don't think I've seen one of my clients just change themselves. Now I've seen clients separate or, you know, do it on their own. And, and again, it's, it happens. I mean, it's recovery is rare to be honest, as you probably know, yeah. but like, when we're talking couples or families, when when a couple or when an individual with addiction doesn't feel truly, you know, Christ-like love and mm-hmm. feel true support, I don't think it's gonna they're gonna recover. It's so hard in that dynamic to not know that you're loved that way. It's it's very very. I don't think I've ever seen it. Like I said, so the importance is necessary in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree. I, agree. And, and I, I think I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast, and, and I, I know we're short on time. I had, I had asked, and I, we don't need to get your opinion, but the, the church has supporting support groups for photography mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah, one of your questions, yeah. And I happened to go to a general addiction meeting when I went the first time. It just happened since that's how I got there. And what, you know, I was doing really great, but one, like, it was like the plane took off the runway when my wife came to the general addiction meeting with me and saw other people in the same situation as me. And like her eyes opened up like, Oh my gosh, I'm starting to understand it now versus like looking at me, like, why can't you stop this thing? Right. And so I don't feel like that that's the case with support groups. I feel like it's great when a spouse can see the real like be in the real meeting can be, can see and be that support person. And maybe, and like, for me, it was like, okay, a weight off my shoulders. Cause she was there now for the long haul. She understood it better. And it wasn't coming from me. I wasn't trying to get her to understand it. And all of a sudden sure. now the team, like you're saying, that kind of took off and all of a sudden, you know, recovery was sure. much easier from that point forward. Yeah. And so I'm glad to hear Again, I support you. Yeah, I second that. I I think for you, that meeting is what solidified you had support in my mind. That's how I would word it. For yeah. some people, it's different. But yeah, that level of support, it, it's inev- it's impossible, right? To most people right. with an addiction to this, on your own, it's impossible. It's isolating. It's, it, it's horrible. And so when you know you have that, that it's not going to leave, unconditional, like, the, the, the con- conflicting pieces, you know, if someone really isn't there and they just claim they want to recover, putting through a spouse through that is very manipulative, right? And right. torturous on them. So again, there's always exceptions, but, but yeah, if someone's ready, I, I don't think you're going to do it on your own in a, in a relationship, but helping them understand, you know, what a craving really is to someone who's addicted and how yeah. the mind switches and the priorities list in order and, you know, helping them understand that. The last thing I would say on that is the support group. You asked, you know, is it support groups of those struggling? I think if you can find a good one, I think some of them truly can cause problems. Um, they encourage separation. You know, uh, everything's individual, but if you can find a good one, man, sometimes that's oh. a game changer for the spouse. Hundred percent, and I think that that's important to therapists or meetings or anything. Like, don't be worried about like hopping to one until you figure one out that works really well for you. Absolutely don't agree. Need to one just because that's the first one you went. To. Totally agree. So, well, I know you're short. I appreciate you so much being on tonight. Tell everybody. So, if you can, how can they become a client of yours if they if they would like anybody in Utah? Is it anybody just locally? Like how? how we, we offer telehealth. Um, okay. I, I have a couple therapists working for me. I talked to you about it earlier. A second. Um, again, I, 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 this is not a marketing thing for me, so I almost don't even want to comment. It's not worth it. But, <laughs> but like, look up BreakthroughTherapyLLC.com or Breakthrough St. George, Utah. Breakthrough okay. therapy. It, they'll access it if they want. They can reach out and email or give us a call. And I usually triage every call and every client. So awesome. if someone has something, they're welcome to call and ask. But. Right. Well, like I said, I appreciate it. I I know you have a lot of things going on. You got a young you family and everything. So I super appreciate uh, your okay. time. And hopefully we can do it again in the future. Yeah. Let me know, man. We'll catch All up right. again soon. See you. Okay. Thanks so much. See you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on the Addiction Reset Podcast. We are on a mission to change the conversation surrounding pornography. Our reset method will help those looking to overcome their addiction and transform their life. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, theaddictionreset.com. 
Also, if you are interested in one-on-one coaching, email us at james at theaddictionreset.com or look for the coaching tab on our website. If you like what you heard today, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Leave us a five-star rating and let us know what you thought in the reviews. This will help our podcast reach more people. Remember, with the Reset Method, recovery is in your future.